Let's hear Hi, it. Have fun. Hi, bye, Matt. Where Don't do you think my juice scared. is? <laughs> 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 and scene. And we never heard from Matt again. So my mom actually yesterday got her knee replaced. Oh, really? Yeah, it was yesterday. So when I... Remember that we were talking about how your mom was getting a new knee and my mom was getting a new eye? Did she also have it happen yesterday? My mom went and got her eye measured for surgery three weeks ago. And then the next day, the doctor called her and was like, I have COVID. And I'm not doing your surgery. And you need to get tested. No. Yeah. So she isn't getting the surgery right now. My mom just got her new knee yesterday. I wanted her to be like a little bit more drugged up. If I was there, I would do video of her coming out of anesthesia. Like that to me is fun. Fun, fun times. I love drugged parents. Yeah, I can't picture a time when my parents have been drugged. Oh, there was one time where my dad, he had some, he had crazy brain shit when I was um, 18. He had something happen where he had a hole in between his spine and spinal fluid was seeping into his brain Mm -hmm. and his brain was swelling. Mm -hmm. And so the doctors almost released him that day. And my mom was like, no, he's not right. Something's fucking wrong. And that night he had emergency brain surgery where they drilled holes in his brain and he called them his jester hats where he had tubes coming out of his brain and bags where the blood can go to. So he wouldn't stroke out. It is crazy people can live through things like that. It is insane. So now my dad will be like, forget things. And I'll go, oh, it's just my brain surgery. It's like, oh, wow. funny, Dad. But he also had um, his two front teeth were knocked out in a bar fight when he was younger. He Whoa, what danced was the fight with, about? He danced with the wrong girl, is what he says. Was it worth it? Um, no. He, he, he was with my mom, too, at the time. My mom wasn't there, but apparently he danced with another girl, and her boyfriend saw and knocked a beer mug into my dad's teeth wow. around Christmas. And so he jokes, all I wanted for Christmas was my two front teeth. So when he had surgery, he had to take his flipper out. It was before he had a permanent, you know, my dad, all growing up, if my dad wanted to chew gum, he had to take his front teeth out because he, because <laughs> it was like That's a, a retainer. Yeah, so That's dad, fun. He really probably had a fun. lot of good Halloween costumes around that. No, my dad wouldn't be the one to like show off on that thing. But um, growing up, it was always funny when dad would brush his teeth and we'd see his like little <laughs> two front teeth on the front. But I had fake teeth too growing up, lest we forget, dear readers. Anyway, so my dad would come out of surgery and he had... Because the jester hats, he had to be fully lying on his back. And he had a towel over his face, face over his like chin, like old-timey toothache style. And then his two front teeth were out. <laughs> really, I just was feeding him ice chips. It's such a cartoon. It was really, it was, I mean, we can look back and laugh. But at the time, it was like, we all were like, do it, get it done. And it wasn't until later that we fully were like, wow, that was really intense. You know, I think yeah. when that shit happens, you just, like, go into action. Ugh. But, yeah. Yeah, brain surgery is also, that's just really nuts. Brain and, surgery is so scary. And my mom I would want like, McDreamy, for sure, to perform For sure, mine. someone hot. I didn't meet my dad's doctor, and maybe that's why I'm not married. Um, I also was 18 at the time. That would be weird. But it's, it's bizarre. You would have made a good child bride. 
Quinn, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> then we you. have a problem in this friendship, I think. <laughs> that's true. I think it's one of those things, too, where, like, my mom was so badass during that time where she, like, created a newsletter for my dad, which was so badass. It was it was a little shocking being in music theory. AP, thank you. Advanced placement music theory. We know what AP is. In case the dear readers don't, in case you're our German or Belgium listeners, AP in English is advanced placement. And uh, <laughs> finding out my dad was going into brain surgery was jarring, being in school. And I, like, didn't talk about it to my friends because I was like, you know, it just makes it real if you talk to people about it. Oh, interesting. It I mean, I'm an me oversharer, so I don't get that. But I'm an oversharer, too. But when there was something about my dad or my family getting you were sick... There's Maybe a difference, I think. Superstitious a little. I was like, if I don't say it, it's not real. I just mm. have to like get through it, be there for it. Yeah. Wow. It was wild. It was wild times. Um, there's something I want to say to the dear readers. It's so boring. I'm gonna say it. Oh okay. guys, we're always bothering you about joining Patreon. It's so that we can do the podcast. So, you know, just do it. Join. But other than that. You're going to miss some really great content. Uh, Last month, we released a little mini conversation between me and Larry Posner, my father, talking about the Jean Benet Ramsey case that only our Patreons got to listen to. And my dad was the commentator on this case for a a lot of big news channels. He was like a. So, yeah. um, That's really fun. And not only that, but uh, if you can't do that, if $5 a month is not in budget for you right now, then just do me a solid. Rate us and review us on Apple. Yeah. It really makes a huge difference. And no, that's all I have to say about that. Just do it. Just do that. Thank you in advance. Thank you for spending the time and doing that. We really appreciate it. Also, it's not that much time. It's going to take you two just, seconds. Just, just, just do it. it. Just thank them first. Right, thank, like, thank, just you. thank you. You're thank right. You. Thank you very much. That's probably why they don't. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's probably why they don't do it, is they don't thank them enough. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our podcast is only as good as our listeners. <laughs> our podcast is only as good as our reviews, subscribing. And since we have so few of Patreon. them, we're going to podcast like no one's listening because no one is. <laughs> is listening. Um, it is fun screaming into the void, which we are quite literally doing. <laughs> we have to start because here's the thing. We have I know lot. you guys love hearing us banter and chit-chat. But I have, have a, a really involved story today. All right, do it. Do it, Quinn. Um, so I want to, like, hop to it. Actually, Carrie, when we did, um, well, for one thing, we should maybe let the listeners know. That we're listening to. Truly. Darkly. Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And the You're last you. time we recorded at Christmas, New Year's extravaganza, Jean-Benet uh, Ramsey. Yeah. You were like, oh, I... We should do... Scott Peterson? Yeah. Are you doing Scott Peterson? Yeah. Wait, my sister is going to be... She doesn't listen to the podcast, but she's going to be so excited. She was like, you should do this because there's new information out apparently about his innocence. Look, it's just a really interesting fucking case. It's layered like... Nuanced, layered. It's layered it's like layered a like delicious dessert. Sure, that too. And I'm here to serve it to you mm. with an extra large spoon. <laughs> The kind you might find next to a bowl of pineapple and milk. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if not, go back two apps. You got it. I got my information. First of all, there's like a great Hulu yeah. six-part deal that I watched. 
the murder of Lady of Lady <laughs> of Lady Lacey Peterson. <laughs> what century are we in? Wikipedia, Rolling Stone, NBC, People, Psychology Today. You can just keep reading about this because it's wild. I mean, I remember when it came out. When it came out, when you it mean all when happened. she was when she was murdered, right? Well, so when know, she was missing, when she was missing, didn't they find? I can't, okay, listen, no guessing what's gonna happen. <laughs> That's not gonna make for a very. Why don't we just sit here and you guess what my story's gonna be? <laughs> that <laughs> would know. be so fun, dear readers. Tell us, would you want that? <laughs> is that what you're looking? Is that why you haven't subscribed I, to Patreon? All I do is I guess whenever Quinn tells a story, I'm like, it's this. And you're like, shut the fuck up, Carrie. Let me finish. No, I smile knowingly and then cut it out of the recording later. <laughs> you did cut it out. I'm like, Because sometimes I'm right. Sometimes you're right. And I I prefer the sound of my own voice. Oh, so okay. I, I that makes go one that of us. route. Okay, moving on. Um, Lacey Denise Rocha was born May 4th, 1975. She's a Taurus. To Sharon and Dennis. Uh, they met in high school. They owned a dairy farm. Oh. Yeah. She also, she was their second baby. She has a big br- brother, Brent. And isn't, aren't they in California? Uh, yeah. So the happy cows are from California. So they're a dairy farm with a lot of happy cows. Factually, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sharon, did you know, this is interesting, Sharon named Lacey after a pretty girl in her high school. Oh, is that it's why you're nice. naming your child Carrie? <laughs> It is unisex. It's still in the running. No, it's not. <laughs> Sharon and the children end up moving to Modesto because Sharon gets divorced. She remarries Ron Gransky, and he helps actually raise Lacey and Brent. Because they get divorced when Lacey's little. I think she's two. Okay. So Lacey is so cute and pretty, and she's a cheerleader. She lives up to the name. After graduating, she goes to... California Polytech State University, uh, and she majors in ornamental horticulture. Okay. Isn't that just like um, just like pretty flowers? Isn't I'm like, that, is like that flower <laughs> arranging? I think I don't know what it is. I think it's got to be flower arrangements. It's a very fancy way of saying pretty things, pretty fla- pretty, pretty plants, shit. pretty plants. Yeah. Um, she ends up going out with some friends to Pacific Cafe, which is, I think, near her school, and she meets her friend's co-worker there, who is Scott Peterson. She actually is the one that makes the first move and is like, here's my digits. Um, And then she calls her mom, like, really fast after meeting him, and she's like, I met the guy I'm gonna marry. Actually, my dad did that with my mom. My dad met my mom, and he told his friend that he met the woman he was gonna marry. What? That's really cute. Yeah, it's probably his only baller moment in life. <laughs> no offense, Larry, but that was pretty baller. That's super baller. I've always hoped someone would feel that way about me, but they're like, I find a really nice person. I'm in a friend zoner. <laughs> right I give away. Guys, I give guys numbers in radio <laughs> silence. Nailed it. Um, so Scott and Lacey start dating, and they get more serious. So serious, in fact... That Scott puts aside his big dreams of becoming a professional golfer to try to go, like, more on a route to financial stability and success. The question is, is, was he that good at golfing? Did he? It sounds like he, like, sacrificed. Like, he was like, I... Let me get rid of... I don't know. No, he might just not have been fucking good. I'm going to start telling people that I was, like... I (laughs) I was was so close to being a golfer. (laughs) 
I was so close to being first chair saxophone for the symphony, and then I met Matt, and I had and, to put that aside. And I had to, and I and I had choices to make, and I chose love. I feel the same way about my roller skating career. I never even started, but I was going to be very good. <laughs> <laughs> and you put that aside for what? And I what? put that aside for this podcast. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Patreon. <laughs> so they they uh, they dated a couple years and then they're married. It's pretty fast. Or they move in together after a couple years. Scott finished his senior year. And after graduation, they move in August 1997. They actually end up opening a sports bar in St. Louis Obispo called The Shack, and they sell it in 2000, and they move back to Modesto to start a family. Right. And they live in kind of a cute neighborhood near La Loma Park. I mean, I read that it was an upscale neighborhood. We didn't do any field work for this case. <laughs> we um, couldn't really travel. There was an advisory out. Yeah, it wasn't our fault. So Lacey gets a job as a substitute teacher. Scott, ironically, gets a job with Trade Corp USA, which is a fertilizer company. I say ironic because I think Scott's a piece of shit. In 2002, <laughs> Lacey is pregnant. Her due date is February 2003, and they're going to name... They find out it's a boy. They're going to name him Connor. On December 23rd, 2002, she's now eight and a half months pregnant, close to the date of birth. Lacey and Scott... Oh, my God. She's as pregnant as I am during this. It's so crazy. I'm that pregnant. You're eight and a half months? Yeah. I, I'm, you're two. Yeah, you're... I thought... Oh, I'm a week and a half away. So insane. Yeah. Lacey and Scott go to their friend Amy's workplace. She owns a salon. I think the name of the salon is Salon Salon. Great name. Solid. Very clear. <laughs> she, Their friend Amy cuts Scott's hair, and Scott's like, oh, I'm going to offer to pick up this fruit basket that you ordered for your grandpa tomorrow because it's actually right by the golf course. I'm golfing on Christmas Eve. Then they go home. Sharon, Lacey's mom, talks to her that night on the phone around 830 at night. I'm saying that because that's one of the last people to talk to her. So we've got to keep clear, like, right. 8.30 at night, she definitely chatted with her mom. The next day is Christmas Eve. Scott and Lacey wake up in their home, eat breakfast, watch Martha Stewart on TV. Martha Stewart probably is great at ornamental horticulture, I just thought. A thousand percent. Probably a hero of Lacey's. And probably does it well stoned. Love her. Scott leaves to go fishing around 9.30 a.m. He says Lacey was going to do some shit around the house, bake cookies, and take the dog for a walk. So wait, he was going to go golfing and he was going fishing? Yeah. Selfish. Christmas Eve, so selfish. Great day, though. It's a great, we love Christmas Eve, but would you leave your family and go fishing and then go golfing outside of your pregnant wife who's staying home baking cookies? And kill someone. Yes. No, I would do that. Okay. Um, and I would want that to be done to me. You want to be left. I would like to be left alone, please. Let it be known. (laughs) Scott tells police that he drove to a nearby warehouse where he keeps his boat. There's a computer there as well. He deals with some work emails. He brings the boat to Berkeley Marina. And this is backed up by a few things. The time stamping of the emails. And there's a receipt from the marina, from pulling into the marina. Does about 90 minutes of fishing, returns the boat to the warehouse, goes home, gets undressed, takes a shower, is a little confused because I think Lacey's car is there, but Lacey's not. 
He's like, I think maybe she went to her mom's. Maybe her mom picked her up, whatever. He calls his mother-in-law. Is Lacey with you? No. Half an hour later, Lacey's stepfather calls 911 to say she's missing. People don't like that it was the stepfather calling it's, and not Scott. Or her mother. His, yeah. Well, they're together. Meaning the mom and the stepfather. So she was probably like, this is weird, this is weird, this is weird. Right. But they call pretty fast after mm-hmm. Scott calls them. The police arrive. They see that her keys, her sunglasses, her purse, all that shit's there. Hmm. The dining room table was set for a family dinner. Oh. They find a phone book on the kitchen counter that was opened to a full-page ad for a defense lawyer. And Scott is acting really calm, they said. So the police come, and they're like, we want to question you tonight. And Scott had said he was going to go golfing, then tells the police he actually went fishing for sturgeon at Berkeley Marina, and he left a message for Lacey. It's around 2.15 on her phone that says, hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. The detectives are launching a search, but they're right away troubled by his behavior. One of them told uh, ABC, I suspected Scott when I first met him. Didn't mean he did it, but I was a little bit thrown by his calm, cool demeanor and his lack of questioning. He, they always say that he wasn't questioning the police enough, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you looking? What's going on? They were like, he was kind of passive. Right. Like waiting to be told. Right. They do a massive search along Dry Creek the day after. They have helicopters. They have fucking canine units. And there's no evidence of any foul play, like no struggle or anything in her house. They went in the house. They found that her keys and everything was there. Yeah. But no, there was no evidence of foul play in the house. struggle, like nothing, yeah. And one thing that I want to address is there's like a big rumor that when they walked in, people smelled bleach. And that's just a rumor. That's never been substantiated that anyone's come forward and said they smelled bleach. But that was a big thing in the media. Yeah. They end up doing a press conference and the family's like, look, we want to be clear. This is out of character for her. She's missing for a reason. She didn't do this. She didn't run away. Yeah, she, yeah. In the first two days... There's like 900 people that volunteer to be involved in this search. And it garners like nationwide media attention right away. This was one of those cases that you could not turn on the TV and not see what was going on with this. They end up filming a vigil for her. Mm -hmm. And there's a picture of Scott with his niece setting down a candle And he's smiling. And then there's another picture that comes out where he's standing with people laughing. Right. He's at a vigil for his missing wife. And people do not like these images. Of course. So right away the media is like. It's him. Guys, the husband did it. I mean, also, if if you're missing, if there's a wife, you're going to first look at their partner. First thing you're going to do. Absolutely. That's what they do with any case. And Scott is acting weird. weird. A $25,000 rewards offered, they increase it to 250, they increase it to 500,000. 
there's 1,500 volunteers at this point that are distributing fucking flyers, information, trying to help find her. And Scott's around, but he's... He's not leading the charge, is he's he? He's not leading the charge, and his attitude is casual, is what people felt. He is a good-looking guy with a little bit of a smirk, and he's not crying, he's not panicking, and then things get really messy because we find out he's also... Having an affair. la 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 lying Yeah. Let's talk about Amber Frey. Scott's mistress. In November 2002, Lacey's seven months pregnant. It's a month and a half before she goes missing. Scott is at a function and meets this woman. It's not Amber, but he tells her, he flirts with her, and he's like, I'm single. I'm looking. Should I put horny bastard on my name tag to help me meet women? And she's like, this guy is so cute. What a joker. Um, of course, if someone's cute and says creepy things like that, you're like, oh, my God, how fun. Yeah, he gets away with it. He gets but away with it. she's like, I'm going to introduce him to my single mom friend, Amber. Right. Because he's single and cute. So she gives him Amber's contact info. And he does call her. He pursues her. He pursues her. What an asshole. He calls her on November 19th and meets her the next day. They start hanging out, dating. They didn't date, contrary to, I think, how the press kind of spins it, I think they saw each other less than five times. Okay. But there was a really incriminating picture because they went to a Christmas party together and she's like sitting on his lap and I think he's wearing a Santa hat and they're like flirty, smiley, cutie, giggly. So those pictures like Do you really this is the first the time he ever cheated on Lacey? It's not. Absolutely not. It's not. I think they even find out that he had cheated on her before. Um he's definitely let me make this so clear. He's a piece he's of a shit. He's a piece of shit. Like he's a douchebag. Right. And I think he's definitely cheating on his pregnant wife because he's a douchebag. Yeah. And she's pregnant, and it's fun to go fuck someone else. Ugh. I mean, he's not a nice guy, but one one way that he's different from just not a nice guy is that he ends up saying to Amber that I'm that he's a widower and that he's actually oh. about to spend his first Christmas alone. Without uh, his wife. And this is a couple weeks before Lacey goes missing on Christmas Eve. I mean, that's fucking damning, dude. That don't look good. Ugh. She doesn't know right away all this shenanigans on the right when it happens. Amber, I mean, she doesn't like figure out all this is going on and then she gets a tip from a friend and on December 30th she sees a newspaper article and is like holy oh, fuck. shit fuck you know why she's like oh fuck she's still been talking to him and he's <gasps> been like casual cool so as broken as he might be from losing his wife he's not so broken he comes clean about it to Amber and he's also pretending like nothing's going on Amber calls the tip line right away and she's like, I'm dating this person. He told me his wife is dead. What the fuck should I do? And they're like, keep dating him. Like, not dating him because they're not seeing each other in person, but they're they're talking keep on the talking. phone. And okay. they're like, we want you to keep talking to him on the phone. We want you to act like you don't know. We want to record it. 
I think she feels terrible. So she's like, yeah. What makes me so sad is, I mean, like anything, I'm sure she receives so much vitriol from the the world, but it sounds like she fucking cooperated as soon as she knew. And like, oh, I don't know that she received that. Did much she not? Vitriol. I always feel like people blame the woman. Well, people do, but I have to say, Amber like is Amber's pretty clearly a victim of right. Scott. Yeah, gotcha. and I don't think that was contested really. Yeah. She starts working with the police right away. They record 29 hours of phone calls. Wow. That's a lot of chit-chat. What are you guys even fucking talking about? (laughs) I listened to some of the calls. It's fucked up. Oh, my God. He's like, oh, it's New Year's, and I'm here in Paris with friends, and it's so fun. I'm going to be in Belgium tomorrow. Like, he's acting like he's traveling Europe. Do you know where he's calling her from? Where? Lacey's fucking vigil. (gasps) No! Do you die? I mean, what in the world is this guy thinking? What an idiot. Like, none of this is going to be true. Like, he just sounds like... We find all this out and we're like, fuck you, dude. So he's like, okay, the press hates me. Makes sense. And we're like, yeah, we fucking hate you, Scott. And he's like, oh, what should I do? I know what I'll do. I'm going to go on Diane Sawyer. But like with no training on how to fucking right these wrongs. So he shows up on Diane Sawyer and he's like, Lacey knew I was having an affair. She was okay with it. And we're all like, no, look, whether or not you think Scott killed Lacey, I'm going to tell you right now that she didn't know he was having an affair and she wasn't okay with it. That's not a thing. It's really not. Even like, if she, for the record, even if she was, that's not what you say on fucking Diane Sawyer when you're having an affair and your wife is missing and she can't corroborate that. Like, oh, that is worse. So it gets worse than that. She's still missing at this point. And he tells Diane Sawyer, Lacey was amazing. Fucking past tense. It, and uh. then he does, like, one of those, like, it's like a cartoon where he's like, Lacey was amazing. Is, is amazing. Is amazing. And you're like... He did oh a little, like, Robert Durst vibe God. on oh. Diane Sawyer. Total totally. Durst. It was, he Durst it. He Durst it up. So it's actually not till April of 2013, months later, that there's a couple walking their dog. They find the body of a late-term male fetus decomposing in a marsh by San Francisco Bay. No. And the umbilical cord's still attached Oh, God. And, ugh. So a judge sealed the autopsy results, but there is somebody from the Associated Press that says there was loops of nylon tape around the fetus's neck and a cut on the fetus's body. A day after finding this fetus, another person finds the body of Lacey about a mile away. Just a torso. What? Yeah. No limbs. No head. But the exact dates of both their deaths can't really be determined, I guess. She also had two cracked ribs, but they don't know if that happened before or after death. I mean, again, it's just maybe it's just been too long. Maybe it's the bay, but they don't know a lot. They say that they think what happened is that the fetus was expelled from her decomposing body. Okay. They can't tell if the fetus 
was alive or dead or like when if it was born into the world right but the associated press also says that the testimony about that was really contradictory it was hard because they kind of go back and forth totally scott gets arrested five days later on april 18th this looks really bad so he gets arrested and he's like i was on the way to meet my dad and my brother for golf he has dyed his hair blonde it doesn't look good by the way and in his car, he has like $15,000 in cash and four cell phones. And he has his driver's license, but also his brother's. It like he has weird stuff with him where you're like, what were you doing, Scott? And he's like golfing. And you're like, weird stuff to pack. <laughs> they bet a lot of money on the holes. That's why he needs $15,000 in cash. Scott's dad is like, oh, he had his brother's license because the day before he needed a discount at a different, at a place he was going to golf. So he was like pretending to be his brother to get the discount. His brother of blonde Scott, hair. Scott, quit lying. Yes, like, seriously, dude. It's not going You're well not for you. You're not fucking helping yourself. Um, and they said he was living out of his car because he was getting too much media attention. Right. So that's like why. But hard to explain that hair because like I said, <laughs> it does not look good. <laughs> It was in the early 2000s and frosted tips were cool, so maybe he was just, like, interested in letting it grow out and be frosted tips. It might have been that. Totally. Um, A lot of people think it might have been that he was fleeing to Mexico because they are in San Diego now to play golf. And it's like, that's pretty close to the border. April 21st, he's charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. He pleads not guilty. The judge is like, well, we'll move your trial to San Mateo since everyone knows you here. But I'm like, everybody um, knows him ever. Good luck getting an unbiased fucking jury. No fucking way. There's no way he's going to have a jury that doesn't know. Or well, hear. we'll talk. OK, let's talk about the trial. It begins June 1st, 2004. Pretty quick. Oh, it coincides with like so much crazy stuff in the news, like the war and Carrie versus Bush and like crazy shit going on. Yeah. Also, the name of my memoir is Carrie versus Bush. <laughs> <laughs> So they make a lot of controversial choices. The jury's not fucking sequestered. Oh. They, yeah, it's wild. That's really, I can't believe his defense attorney would allow that. Ugh. If not to be like, hey, we're wanting to have a mistrial. Like, let's make sure we taint this shit as much as humanly fucking possible. It's bananas. And there's all this stuff that happens in the trial that's weird. Like, the prosecution's opening statement are like, Scott says that they watched... Martha Stewart that morning. She wasn't on. And when we asked him what it was about, he said meringue. That's not what the show was about that day. That's part of their opening statement. Weird flex. Weird flex, guys. Wait, but even weirder is then they're able to prove later, like, that was what the show was about. Like, they play it. So it's bad. Like, the prosecution's not doing a good job. Ooh. They're just, like, making things up. They're like, it wasn't even about that. And it's like, yeah, it was. It was about meringue. Now you look weird. Now you look... Oh, God. What other evidence besides that he was about to escape and, like... There's no physical evidence, and they completely rely on using emotion in place of the evidence. So everything's about the affair. Ugh, that's like... You can't do that. That's not... You can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But those tapes, Carrie, are so damning because his wife is missing, and he is... Saying he's in fucking Paris. And he's giggling and flirting and saying how beautiful Amber is. And he's being sexual towards her. And the I mean, it's 
it's calls that are really hard to listen to and imagine that this person is going through what they're going through and able to make these calls. Right. Okay. It's bad. The prosecution uses that there's a dog they use, a scent dog. Yeah. Named Trimble. Well, that's a weird name, but sure. Yeah. Trimble alerts on the dock that Scott brought his boat into the bay, like as if to say Lacey was here. Right? And they use that. They're like, this dog is telling the story through scent that Lacey's body was here. They don't tell you till later, Trimble was wrong 75% of the time, and this dog failed his certification test. Oh, shit. So you're like, this, this, like, what? It's just like, ask Poor us. Trimble. He just wants to be given a shot. Well, it's like, ask kind of a bad psychic what she thinks happened, and you're going to get the same information exactly. as what Trimble's going to yeah. give you. I don't know that it Let's deserves to be. Let's give a polygraph test while we're at it. Let's yeah. do it. Let's give Trimble a polygraph. <laughs> While the trial's happening, one of the jurors is fucking replaced. Fucking, I'm sorry. One of the jurors is fucking, fucking Scott in Peterson? the courtroom. No, but one of the jurors has to be replaced early due to misconduct. And I think what happened was one of the family members of Lacey came into court. They're walking in together every day, going right. through security. And he made some offhand remark to the guy, very benign, something like, Oh, where I'm standing, the cameras can't catch you. Guess you won't be on the news today. Like, just chatty. Who said this? One of the jurors to one of the family members. Like, joking about how he's always on the news. And he's not going to be on the news today. And they're like, you're out. I did find a weird sidebar. I was in a jury selection process. And when we, like, recessed for lunch and everybody had to go to lunch, the guy who was accused was also getting lunch. And so he and I crossed and, like, said hi to each other. Yeah, you can get kicked off for really little things like that. But it was if weird. Nobody want. asked me. And I was like, this feels like we should be separate. Yeah, it's it is weird. weird. Vibe. It yeah, is weird. Yeah, I felt, I was like, oh, I shouldn't know this. I shouldn't be talking to you. Weird. Well, they end up getting rid of that juror. And as soon as he's out, he talks to the news. And he's like, the prosecution's doing a really bad job. There's no evidence against Scott. Wow. It sounds to me like the media accused Scott, and in order to just shut them up and do something, they had to prosecute him. But what they did is they prosecuted him before they had any evidence or actual or a real case for him. Well, what happened is it's the same thing that always happens. They decided Scott, and they start hiding evidence and getting rid of evidence and not presenting evidence that says it's not Scott. shit. They decided really early it was Scott because he's being awful and because he had an affair. There's more evidence that they're not telling? I'm going to tell you. Oh, Jesus. Um, Oh, but I do just want to say while we're talking about jurors that Mm -hmm. they also lose their foreman. And fucking replace him. Like, this jury is, like, in and out, in and out. They're like, who wants to do this? You? Great. Come on aboard. (laughs) That's not, like, the jury, it's really crazy. One more damning thing the prosecution presents that I did, it's just another Scott sucks, is that two weeks after Lacey goes missing, he orders the Playboy channel and two other hardcore porn channels, like, to subscribe to. Scott. Where you're like, that... Pro- is super problematic because what it seems to say is she's not coming back. Because right. if he wasn't in charge of being able to order his own porn while his wife was there, if she was like, no, I don't like that. We're not putting that in our subscription. You can't have that porn. 
and then he ordered it when she was gone. It does seem to paint that picture, doesn't it? Of like, of like, I can do I what, do I, what want I want now. now. I have freedom. I want to know how much, how advanced the relationship with Amber gets. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to know how before Lacey was missing and after. It's like if he was, if he felt that freedom and like acted on it with Amber. Whereas if he, he if he, if he behaved her. differently, do you know what I mean? That's my question. I mean, but he, he got out of seeing her for sure by being like, I'm in Europe. When wow. really it was like the press is following me. I can't go on a date right now. Wow. I'm supposed to be an aggrieved husband. Like we talked about, the prosecutors are like, here's what happened. Scott made these cement anchors and attached them to Lacey, brought her out on the boat and threw her over. Now, they like the anchor idea because it seems to account for like all the missing body parts, uh-huh. actually. Um, but they search the bay. They can't find shit in it. They can't find these made-up anchors. Jesus Christ. The only piece of forensic evidence they ever find, a piece of her hair that was stuck to pliers that are in his boat. The prosecution will be like, Lacey didn't know Scott owned a boat. No one knew Scott owned a boat. It was a secret boat. And they love that because they're like, who is this man that keeps all these secrets? But one thing they don't present that they know, Detective Bronchini, one of the detectives on the case, knew from eyewitnesses that Lacey had been at the warehouse, seen the boat. He admits under oath what? that he removed that information from his report. Because <laughs> it didn't go with the story they're trying to tell. Jesus Christ. A lot of what is on the Hulu documentary yeah. brings to light a lot of these theories of maybe it wasn't Scott. Right. So I'm going to talk about some of those theories. There was a robbery that day on the 24th at about 1140 in the morning. It was across the fucking street from the Peterson home. The neighbors whose house was burglarized had left town like an hour earlier that day. They came back home on the 26th. Stephen Todd and Glenn Pierce were the two dudes arrested for this burglary. And they're like, yeah, we did do this. They confess. But they're like, "Um, we didn't do it on the 24th. We did it on the 26th before the homeowners returned. The cops love that because everyone wants to say, we think that it could have been connected to Lacey. And they're like, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been, it was on the 26th. All they do is take at face value that these burglars are telling them the truth about when they burgled the house. On the 26th, Lacey is missing. And there's police are all over there. And the police are all the fuck over There's no way a burglary happened on the 26th. There's no fucking way. Wow. Have these guys have another, like, do they have a rap sheet? Do they have... Okay, well, here's something. A neighbor saw them burglarizing it, drove by and saw some weirdos with a white van in front of the house, alerted on it, and says... And then when the cops go to say, well, the... What you're remembering wasn't the 24th. It was the 26th. The cops talked to her on the 27th. She's like, no, this happened three days ago. And they're like, no, it happened yesterday. Jesus. And she's like, I would know. 
there's a Lieutenant Aponte who alerts on something and lets the police know. What happens is that he monitors a phone call between inmate Sean Tenbrink and his brother, Adam Tenbrink. During the call, Adam says to Sean, my friend Stephen Todd says that Lacey confronted him during the burglary on the 24th. And during the call, he says crazy things like, shut up, shut up, this call's being monitored, don't talk about that. So the burglars, whether or not they killed Lacey, the burglars knew that a woman across the street went missing that day. They had a great reason to say it was the 26th, not the 24th, because they're like, wasn't us, wasn't us, don't look at us. In fact, when Stephen was arrested for the burglary, the first words out of his mouth are, I had nothing to do with the pregnant girl. (laughs) Oh my God. Holy shit. When one of the burglars was later confronted by the defense team, he totally goes nuts. They say, and I quote, he came unglued and started yelling, you have no evidence. And then he took the fifth and wouldn't speak about it. About Lacey? Correct. Holy shit. So one of the theories we like is that Lacey took her dog on a walk, like Scott said she was going to, when she got home, saw what was happening across the street, and confronted them. She wasn't scared because she had her dog, and they took her. They had a van, they were bad guys, and they took her, and they killed her. We don't know when. And they didn't investigate any of their stuff They didn't investigate this. There was another witness, though, that came forward and said that they saw... In this neighborhood, a white van pulled over on the side of the road and someone holding a woman, like, and her she was peeing. As though they had, like, stopped on the side of the road and let her pee and put her back in a van. Holy shit. One reason why the prosecution will again and again say it's Scott is it's really unlucky that he went fishing in San Francisco Bay and the body was found in San Francisco Bay. But one thing you should know is his alibi was publicized from day one. Scott's alibi was. Scott's. So the media right away told everybody, we think it's Scott. It looks like it's the husband. Here's, and he was, his alibi for when she went missing is he was fishing in San Francisco Bay. So if you're a bad guy that has Lacey and you read... We think it's the husband. His alibi is he's was in San Francisco Bay. Oh, Where do you fucking shit. put the body? Where do you put the body? San Francisco Bay. <laughs> There's this woman who they didn't press, but her story's interesting, which is that on Christmas Eve, she was at work and there was a car watching her with two really shady guys in it. She's the same amount pregnant as Lacey. And they're watching her, watching her being creeps she's creeped out by them and they come into her place of work she freaks out and calls the police she feels like they were looking to take a pregnant woman or do something to her there was also a pregnant woman she was found in the bay in san francisco bay she was eight months pregnant just like Lacey, and she was found six months before Lacey. also she was missing the same body parts as Lacey. 
a lot of people call (laughs) I don't want to like invalidate everything by saying this but a lot of people are like it was devil worshippers because yeah because that's always the easy explanation because you sacrifice a pregnant woman I don't know where that comes from it is weird that that body was found similar yeah yeah the same way like I said they can't determine the age of the baby which is really a big deal if you think about it because if Scott killed Lacey that day and dumped her in the bay that should be the day that she and Connor both died but they end up getting a guy to talk about how that is what happened the prosecution does but it turns out he's looking at the wrong bones. I don't know all the science behind that. Right. And I kind of tune out when people talk about science. But the idea is that the, <laughs> you could have tested when that happened, like but he was doing it wrong. Okay. So another doctor looks at it and concludes Connor could have been alive as late as January 3rd. So meaning we could paint a whole other picture of this case where they were hostages and taken and not killed till later. I think what's crazy is the the tape around the baby's neck yeah there was twine and tape and it looked like he had been maybe handled outside the body there's this doctor though that they question on the stand he's a fertility specialist and they bring him on actually i think for the defense and he was supposed to exonerate scott by showing that the fetus died later Mm -hmm. and then they start cross-examining him and I guess they didn't prepare him because as soon as they start cross-examining him, he gets super flustered. And he ends up saying to the prosecutor, cut me some slack in court. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, like, no credibility. All the jurors are, like, blushing for him. And, like, everyone's stops like, taking... Like, we're all embarrassed for you, dude. <laughs> everyone's doing, like, putting their hand on their head and, like, stop taking notes and, like, looking away and, like, oh, this guy. (laughs) So that was not a good moment for the defense and kind of demolishes this theory because this doctor could not hack it. So the other big deal in this case that doesn't fucking get presented in the trial is the dog walking. If Scott took Lacey, she didn't walk the dog, okay? Yeah. If they say that he took her straight to the fucking... San Francisco Bay and dumped her in. That didn't happen. But more than 10 witnesses report seeing someone fitting Lacey's description and the dog's description on a walk. And they line up perfectly on a map of, like, what her walk would have been. Like, first this person saw her here. Then she was seen here, here, here. It's, like, exactly the walk she would have done. 10 witnesses saying it happened. The reason they don't bring these witnesses to court to say this happened is that there's one witness that's a neighbor that says, I found the dog just with a leash on, just standing in the street outside the fence at their house. I put the dog in the yard, shut the gate for them. When you start talking to all the eyewitnesses of I saw Lacey walking the dog, their times are all over the place and some don't work with that time stamp of 1030. So someone might say, I saw her walking the dog at 1045, and it's like, no, she couldn't have been. The dog had just gotten put in the yard. They don't bring this to court at all, because I think the defense, probably after that doctor had a meltdown, were like, we "We don't want to look in. Yeah, we don't (laughs) want to be embarrassed. Like, forget it. But 10 people saw Lacey walking her dog when she was supposed to be dead. Okay? That's a lot of fucking people. 
What's crazy to me is like the fact that the dog was found outside of the house, I think is really fucking damning. Like regardless of the time. You think Scott took the, yeah, that seems crazy to me too. The fact that like she disappeared. Yeah. And of course you wouldn't have your purse when you're going on a dog walk. You wouldn't have your, like there's so many things you wouldn't have that it's like when the neighbor finds a dog outside, if the dog is both Scott and Lacey's, Scott wouldn't just be like, dog, go, fuck you. What, right? No, and if he was trying to cover up a murder, he'd have kept the dog in the house or in the... I don't know. It's weird to me that the dog had a leash on and was wandering. Yeah, I agree. That feels like she got yoinked. Yeah. And like I it wasn't zoinked, Scott. but yeah. Yoinkty zoinkty. There's okay. the title. So on November 12, 2004, Scott gets convicted of first-degree murder and second-degree murder for Connor. He gets convicted? Yes. They sentence him, the same jury sentences him to death by lethal injection. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's, wow. Okay. But, again, I told you, I told you all the evidence. The evidence is just this guy sucks. Yeah. So Larry King is talking on Larry King Live to one of the jurors later after this happens, and he's like... Um, so what happened? Like, what do you guys think actually happened? And the juror's like, well, he, he killed his wife and he dumped the body. And Larry's like, yeah, but like, what's the, like, what happened? Yeah. And the juror is like, can't answer him. And it's just this was this sort of perfect thing oh. to include in the Hulu documentary that just showed you like, well, they don't really think much beyond that they just have a bad feeling about scott doing it so they said he did it they can't tell you when or how or how but he just did it but they're sure he did it how is her family feeling about this you know the affair stuff really fucked it up fucked they originally they were on scott's side and when the affair comes out they're like you killed our daughter yeah and scott maintains his innocence this whole time Oh, absolutely. Okay. On March 19th, there's a, the governor of California issues a moratorium for the 737 prisoners on death row, including Scott. Yeah. So that postpones all executions while he's governor. So there's no executions. And then the most recent thing is that on August 24th, 2020, in a 7-0 to decision, the Supreme Court of California upholds his conviction but overturns his death sentence wow the reason why they do that is that they can show that the judge had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment right okay like it felt like they tried to stack the jury with people that believed in the death penalty right i don't think that's legal Well, what happens is you're allowed to, you can ask, I think, if you oppose the death penalty, but then you have to say, like, are you able to put your own political feelings about this aside and fairly consider this, you know, this trial or whatever? And and then they're like, yeah. But what they were doing is they were like, do you believe in the death penalty? And if somebody was like, I don't, they were like, dismissed. Right. Not cool. This is not even the latest that I just told you. August 24th, 2020? Not the latest. October 14th, 2020, the Supreme Court rules that a lower court 
should take a second look and determine if the conviction should be overturned and if he should get a new trial because they realized that one of the jurors did prejudicial misconduct. Okay, what is that? Basically what happened that's what is... what it sounds like. He, this person had like a bias towards him. He right, wasn't impartial. Exactly. What happened is that there was a lawsuit that she filed in 2000 to get a restraining order against her boyfriend because he had like harassed her when she was pregnant. And there's this whole thing with protecting her and protecting her baby. And oh, right. when she asked if she'd ever been the victim of a crime, she said no. So she filed that lawsuit, then kind of lied about it. She's saying she didn't even think about it. Like, it didn't even occur to her. But the idea is when people are like, what upset you most about the case? She's like, the baby, the baby. And you feel like she also has this history of right. I had to protect myself and my baby. She was putting and it was herself her day in court. Yeah, and it was, our, it was her lover. It was her partner. But Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now um, Peterson's family, Scott Peterson's family is all like, we're doing all the work we can with volunteers that believe Scott's innocent. There's all this new evidence. We think we can get a different verdict. There's all this stuff that I just told you didn't get brought and to the trial the first time. And there's a Hulu documentary. Should they just play the Hulu documentary? They should just play the Hulu documentary. And it like, does make you think All right, prosecutors, here, here you go. Um, but it feels like reasonable doubt is quite a thing with this case. Yeah. Wild. I don't know whether he did it. But I can look you in the eye and say, they did not prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. That's something that didn't happen. They did something. I was reading this article in Psychology Today, and it's called Demeanor Evidence. So oh, right. it's yeah. the idea of like... How did they react? It's like the Rams. It's like, yeah. It's like this guy acted shitty, so we're like, he, he did, did it. it. Not only that, but the police did that thing. That fucking thing. That we thing. know so well. It's like they had eyes for Tunnel someone. Vision. And they did, yep. Mm-hmm. They and dismissed everything else and didn't give anything else a fair shake. They were just interested in, in looking at the things that said Scott did it and nothing else. So right now, I think they're due to maybe return to court. We'll see if COVID changes that, but it looks like we might find something out in 2021 and people are going to be upset because I can tell you when Scott got the death penalty, the footage of people outside that courtroom celebrating was nuts. People were very happy with that verdict. Right. People really want vengeance for this woman and her baby and people hate Scott Peterson. I hate Scott Peterson, but I, again, I don't think they proved it beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. And he might have done it. He really might have. I mean, he's a total shitbag. Sheesh. That's the story. Um, this story that I'm... It's my turn. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, I'm doing the story of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. Um, it's pretty new um, in that it's happened in the last three years. So Abby is 13, Libby is 14. This happens in 2017. Both of them were, like, really good friends. And social media, obviously, is a fucking thing. So the two of them had the day off of school it was unseasonably warm in february so it's february 13th 2017 and the two of them decide to go on a walk at a trail near delphi indiana um, in deer creek township they both got dropped off by libby's older sister her name is kelsey she drops the girls off at the trail and the girls take a long walk in this like nature preserve trail vibe in indiana i think this is like a pretty chill walking path and I guess there's a big um, bridge that used to be 
a railroad. So there's pictures of the girls. At 2.07, Libby posts a picture of Abby walking over the bridge. And I think it's on Snapchat, but I can't be sure. But I saw images of it. And it's like two 13, 14-year-old girls taking a picture walking over a bridge. Do you know what I mean? Makes perfect sense to me. Makes perfect fucking sense. They're taking photos and they're hiking. And this is called the Mono High Bridge. It's over Deer Creek. They had arranged for Libby's dad to pick them up at 3.15. So remember, the photo was put on at 2.07. So at 3.15, their dad shows up at their like, meeting place, which is near that area, and the girls don't show. So obviously, dad's worried. So he starts. He gets out of his car. He starts looking around. He starts you know, searching, 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 calling out their names, trying to find him. Nothing. He would call the girl's phone. It went right to voicemail. So as though the family did the early search, they ended up calling the police at 5.30, so about two hours later, which seems to make sense in a sense where, like, you're like, oh, they must be lost. They got to help. You know, their phone's dead. I'll go walk. I'll look. So they did a preliminary search. I'm not finding that suspect at all. No, I don't find it suspect, but don't you feel like by doing these cases, if anyone in your life now is missing for, like, like, 11 minutes, you're like, that's good enough. Let's call the police. (laughs) We got to call. But even the police at that point would be like, did you look for them? Do you know what I mean? Like, even the police would be like, girl, we're busy. So the police uh, arrive, and when they arrived, they did just that. Two hours later, they were like, they're lost. Just stay here. Someone's holding a tree screaming their name, you know. They're fine. They didn't treat it like a crime scene. So... The family searches overnight. The girls are nowhere to be seen. They're not found, nothing. The next day, February 14th, 2017, at noon, two girls' bodies were found a half a mile from that bridge, that Mono High Bridge. Ugh. Horrible. So it's less than a mile from where they were dropped off. No. And so you see a picture. It's so fucking dark. It's so scary. They're 13. They're 14. The police are holding on to a lot of information. There's no information about how the girls died. Do you, Why do you think they're holding on? Because they still don't have anyone. And so what they're doing, which I think is like, this I think is really smart. It's protocol. It's smart protocol where they're holding on to the cause of death, how they were found, what was found. A lot of evidence is being held close to the chest. And they're slowly releasing information in a way that they're like, we're only going to give the public what they absolutely need to know and what we feel comfortable giving them. Because if a person comes forward, you know, there's a lot of quack jobs out there. There's all the false confessions. There's all false confessions. So you say, there's how did they die? Exactly. Right. And I think also there's creeps and these are children. The police anticipated a quick resolution. They were like, four to five days, we'll ha- we have to know what this is. This is so not typical of that area. Like, this is a crazy case. The answer's got to come quickly, right? They were wrong. What the police do release to the public, what they know of the case, happens on February 22nd. So a week later, they tell the public that the phones were found near the bodies. So they had the girls' phones in their possession. In the photo of the girls that was taken before they disappeared, before 315, they find a photo of a girls, and behind them, there is a man. Um, he's a white man with jeans, and he has a navy jacket on. He has a flat cap, a sweatshirt over his head. His hands are in his pockets, and he's walking on the bridge with his head down, walking towards the girls. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds more menacing, but it's like these girls were taking a picture and a guy was walking behind them. Super far away. It's far away, where he's pretty fucking blurry. It's clearly a man. They say he's between 5'6 and 5'10, 180 to 220 pounds. He has reddish-brown hair. They have preliminary sketches that they interviewed people to create a composite sketch of who they saw on the trail that day. And this is pretty much the only information they have, except on February 22nd, they released an audio recording from Libby's phone. What? Libby, and they, they, they praise her as a hero... She had recorded while something was happening, and oh I'll play God. you the. Vi- I'll play it for you. It's muffled. Do you hear him say, "Guys, down the hill"? Is that what he's saying? Yes. I hear it. Yeah. So the first time on the February twenty second, they only released the down the hill clip. They don't. Re- they don't release the guys. At this press conference, the police are like, "We have more evidence, but we're not releasing it." The reward is set for forty one thousand dollars. This is in two thousand seventeen. Still, July seventeenth, they finally released that sketch, that composite sketch. April nineteenth, two thousand nineteen. So. Two years later, the Indiana State Police announced a new direction, and there's a short video recording of the man walking, and then, so they have a video of that guy walking, and then they also release the lengthened version, which is what you just heard, which is the guys part. They didn't Uh include the guys in there earlier. And then they release that the age of the suspect is between 18 and 40 years old. So, like, they're slowly releasing information, which... It feels conflicting, because it's like, don't you want to find out who this is? But again... It's such a wide net of people. They do find that there was a car that was abandoned between noon and five that day, the day that the girls went missing, and it was in parked in front of the abandoned um, former child services office. So mm-hmm. they were trying to look for whose car that could have been, but again, they don't have like an image of it. They just have eyewitnesses where like it's pretty conflicting. The police uh, at a press conference, they said, we believe you are hiding in plain sight for more than two years. We likely have interviewed you or someone close to you. We know that this is about power to you and you want to know what we know that one day you will. So it's all about keeping this information to them because they don't want. It's pretty wild. Total mind fuck. Um, I'm going to go through. Some some suspects that we have that was per Wikipedia. There's this guy, Paul Eder, on July 23rd, 2009. He was a person of interest. He was wanted for a kidnapping and a rape of a 26-year-old on June 22nd. And I guess at the standoff between him and armed um, policemen, he ended up killing himself. Oh. So that's done. Oh, I can't believe there's no DNA. There's no DNA. Well, there might be. But they haven't they matched haven't, it. Well, they haven't told anyone of anything. Okay. There's so that's what's so fascinating about this is like so much of it is kept secret. Um, this other guy, Thomas Bruce, he's a former pastor. They usually are. He shot and killed one woman and sexually assaulted two other women. And this story is so gross, where he held them at gunpoint in the back of a religious supply shop in broad daylight. I fucking hate that, that it happens in the day and at a religious, like, ugh. And of course, like, this is the, what, like, those are the only 
two allegations. He for sure has done this many times. Like, I can't imagine that to be the first time him comfortable during the day bringing a woman to the back of a shop. Sure. His height matches. He's 5'7", between 5'7", um, 5'9". And he was wearing a flat cap and a navy jacket similar to the photo. On December 4th, he was charged with 17 felony counts, and he could get life in prison. So he's just a bad guy. So they think he's going to prison either way. He's going way. to prison either way. This guy, Charles Eldridge, he was arrested January 8th, 2019 in Union, in Union City, Indiana, for child molestation and child solicitation. And he resembles the sketch. But again, like all these guys, nothing has come of it. In Indiana, obviously, the case is still unsolved. We don't know what happened to these poor girls. And in that area, families put orange lights on their porch in honor of the girls and to remind the whole community that their murder is still at large and they're still out there. Ugh. The police have interviewed over 1,000 people, both witnesses, suspects, anyone with any information. As of February 2020, there are six to eight people who still work on the case. And they Good. keep a lot of the information secret, obviously. The Good. reward now is up to $250,000 for the Delphi killer. If you have any information, uh, there is a tip line, which is Abby and Libby tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com. Like we have seen time and time again, families create these beautiful foundations in honor of their slain family members. And there's an LNA foundation, which was formed as a nonprofit to, quote, celebrate and commemorate the lives of Libby German and Abby Williams by creating a place for the appreciation of nature, art, play, and athleticism for generations to come. And they're building a sports complex in that area. That is all the information that I have on Libby and Abby. Wow, that's really sad. I think what I'm so surprised about is... A child knew to record? A 14, 13-year-old knew how to record like beyond that? Beyond that, I'm not surprised she knew how to record. Kids are on their phones all the time doing stuff. Not but how, but like I'm the so, quick thinking? Well, the quick doing. I'm sort of like getting caught in the technical part of how did she do it without being seen? Right. Like, and also the person... Because if you're looking down at your phone, fiddling with it while someone's taking you hostage, that's already, I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah. We we see this in cases often where it's people who leave breadcrumbs like this. Do you think it recorded more than what they're sharing yes. now? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because there's no way she'd be like, I know, I'll record for two seconds. She could have... I mean, the thing is, is the phone is found near the bodies, too. Why didn't he take the phones? Why didn't he take the, the phones? Dummy. They're so and so the, clearly they, they they like that it's a guy and they this picture of this guy walking behind them. Oh, it's that guy them. for sure. Really? Yeah, it's that guy. Cause he'd have come forward and been like, "That's me, and I didn't do it." Right, right. I just like again, I I applaud the police department for not releasing all this stuff. I also find it so frustrating that they're not releasing it because I just like. There's got to be more information. There's just, there's more evidence. There would yeah. thousand percent is more evidence. I guess both of our cases we presented today are like, uh, yeah. to be continued a little bit, right? Totally. They and the both thing is, are. I hope they solve it. I do too. Just for the families. My heart goes out to those families. Yeah. I hope whoever did it rots in hell. It could have been that guy who killed himself. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way to question him. There's no way to know. Dang. Sorry we left you hanging, friends. Let's go get a snack. I think this very depressing podcast calls for cheese doodles. 
You had me at cheese. Not a doodle, though? Well, I mean, you had me at cheese. It was just a win. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was I, a double win I, when I said win. doodle. But when you said cheese, I was like, sure. I'll always do cheese. Well, dear readers, thanks for joining us. Thanks we for really coming. sincerely hope that you'll consider becoming Patreon subscribers. And then if you're not even considering it, yeah. you'll just write the damn review. Just write the ding-ding-dong review. I already thanked you for it. Carrie made me. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. It's also on this fucking, if you look at our details, you can just click on the link. Click on the link. Click on, and don't forget to go to our website and click on the learn link. Because there's something you can learn every single week. And I know you guys love reading and learning. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Sure. Let's go get those doodles. (laughs) 